Welcome to Thrive Deeper, an ongoing conversation with Dr. Matthew Jacoby, author of the Thrive Bible Reading Guides, teaching pastor, and leader of the Psalmist Band Sons of Korah. Join us as we go deeper into the Bible, discussing the passages as we read them together with Thrive. Now, here's your host, DJ Payne. G'day, g'day, DJ Payne here, and thank you for joining us on episode 10 of Thrive Deeper. Uh, this is where Matt Jacoby and myself get into the book of Ephesians. I'm sure you're going to enjoy this. I love this beginning of it because we go into the background of the establishment of the church in Ephesus. We look at the book of Acts and we hear how the church started. It's a fascinating story, but we don't stop there. We get into chapters 1, 2, and a little bit of chapter 3 as we look at predestination and some of the other amazing points that the Apostle Paul leaves with us in this amazing book. Now, after the discussion, I will be back to let you know how you can play your part in getting the word out there about this podcast. If you appreciate what Matt and I are doing here, we would love to get you involved. I'll be back at the end of the show to let you know about that. But uh, let's jump right into it. After this break, we go right into the discussion that Matt and I are having in the book of Ephesians. this you know I had this sense of pride that everyone was sick but you know it's like Psalm 91 but it will not come near you I thought yeah that's me and then I got sick well there you go <laughs> is there a few more Psalms you can quote when you're sick <laughs> we went through my whole family and yeah, yeah. Now, I, now it's me and, you, and you're on the other side of it now I think so what I would love to do is what we didn't do last week is we talked a lot about Paul and uh, the background of what he do, he was doing in Ephesus, but we didn't really get into the you know I reread the book of uh, Acts there eighteen and nineteen that talk about Ephesus yeah, and I forgot what a crucial part of the story mm. of the book of Acts that that yeah. part is about yeah. uh, Priscilla and Aquila being left there yeah. uh, of them encountering Apollos. Yeah. This Egyptian guy yeah, yeah. who's well versed in the Bible yeah. and has been baptized in yeah. the, under John, then the, him edu- being educated under them, him going out to another area, and then Paul coming back to Ephesus, meeting the, the these other twelve disciples who were baptized under John, mm. and when and that discussion of the Holy Spirit of yeah. him going, do you know about? They'd been under the preaching of Apollos, hadn't they? Well, uh, no, it's it's sort of it's sort of it's a little bit loosey goosey there whether yeah, yeah. they're under the because it sounds like Apollos sort of got the you know got the fuller picture, but it sounds like they sort of came after Apollos. I'm not too sure. Maybe and, Apollos's early earlier uh, yeah, yeah yeah or that somehow they were being ba- they knew about John's baptism yeah. or they would they had been baptized story, yeah. by John, and they didn't know about the Holy Spirit. And then the 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 ministry in Ephesus. How it launched this incredible, not not like I wanted to say revival, but it's not a revival, but this inc- oh, it, incredible it was ma- gospel. It was massive, yeah. It was massive. He was Paul actually stayed there for three years. Uh, what what happened was is that he, as he would often do, uh, according to the pattern, to the Jew first and then to, to the Gentile. Yeah, he would go into the synagogue. Uh, but because he was rejected in the synagogue, he went to some lecture hall yeah. and started holding meetings in this lecture hall and uh, and ended up staying there for 
three years actually and lecturing in this lecture hall and people would come from all around and um, it's an interesting place actually because Ephesus was um, was the uh, was the the center of a, a really important uh, Greek cult you know yeah. uh, the cult of um, Artemis and uh, it he really takes this on you know he really um, uh, it, it, he just takes over the town, really, yeah. and and there's there's riots and everything. It's just and and, it's a, and and it makes sense. It, again, I guess it depends on your worldview of what's happening, but it makes sense in such a spiritually dark town mm. as as far as Gentile being, um, you know, open to a spiritual dark things. Yeah. You know, you know, magic and all these different types of witchcraft and stuff yeah. that is going on in the set in the in the city that. And and then also the double side of it is that the Jewish heart is so hard amongst the synagogue mm. that they reject the yeah. message of Christ outright. Yeah. And Paul says, right, I'm going to go for it. And he just preaches to everybody there, to the Gentile. Yeah. This massive conversion mm. that happens and then the the ma- the massive mirac- miraculous stuff that is yeah. happening in Paul. This is where we get the story about Paul's handkerchief being yeah, taken yeah. and put on oh, sick yeah, person, yeah. part of his clothing, all this t- all this insane stuff that goes on. And it, it 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 gives Paul this authority in mm. Christ to be able to minister the word, and and the name of Jesus is yeah. just glorified yeah. in this. It place. becomes a real center for him, and and I mean you're totally right. The you know on the one hand he's got the the Jewish opposition, then on the other hand he's got the cult of Artemis, and you know the the temple there was one of the um, wonders of the ancient world, massive, massive temple, you know, mm. and people would come all around actually to come to that temple, but instead they're coming for that temple and they're hearing about these meetings and they're coming to hear Paul. And so, you know, uh, they get more than they bargain for. And so then they go, uh, away and take the gospel with them. So yeah. it's an amazing, it's an amazing, amazing story. story. Of Paul's time in, in Ephesus. Yeah. And this is, of course, a letter to the Ephesians. Yeah. A letter. Yeah. And, and it just, what a cosmopolitan place because out of this place we see, like, we get introduced to this Egyptian, you know, the Apollos, yeah. this Egyptian guy who's teaching the Bible. We get introduced to, uh, you know, in, in, this is part of the journey, sort of like Aquila and Priscilla mm. take, take pride of place. Mm. Uh, we get we get all these people coming from different places, places and then dispersing around Turkey yeah. and other places. It's just mm. a fascinating part yeah. of the story. And then when you have that as a background in the back of your mind, it makes so much more sense yeah. to hear what Paul is talking about in the book of yeah. Ephesians. And, and some of the themes in Ephesians really resonate with that context, like the stuff about the principalities and powers of this dark world, our battle isn't against flesh and blood. And yeah. I mean, he was up against all of that in Ephesus, like Big uh, time. coal face sort of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. fantastic. All right, well, let's break it down. Chapter 1, um, you know, the, the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, that we've we've been reading through, uh, we can see here, like, the, it, it opens up in this amazing, uh, almost poetry, Mm. This, this, uh, you know, this, uh, overflowing, uh, mm. you know, beautiful, uh, you know, poem almost that Paul is, yeah. is talking about. Uh, you know, break that down for us, Matt. Well, it's, it's actually a kind of a declaration of praise, which yeah. is great because it's not just a, 
sort of abstract theological tre- treaties. You mm. know, he's, he, he's not just saying, giving us facts about God. It's in the midst of a, as you say, a kind of song of praise. You know, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself, uh, as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purposes of His will, he just goes yeah, on. Goes, it actually goes on and on and on for I think it's about two hundred words, one yeah. big sentence. It's just one big declaration of praise, and that's the first. Um, you know, pretty pretty much from uh, verse you know three all the way yeah. through to about verse fourteen. Yeah, is 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 this giant declaration, and and one of the beauty beautiful parts of it is it's such a beautiful. Um, understanding we see Paul's mind as he understands the Trinity. Yeah. And how it works in the believer. Because mm. he goes from, and, it, and it's very great. It's beautiful how it's mm. done. It's very subtle. He does make these big, mm. but he, he goes from the Father to the work of the Son yeah. and then to the, how, what the Holy Spirit yeah. is doing in the yeah, church. It's, 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 it's a beautiful yeah. picture. Now, in, in, in amongst all of that, he starts talking about this concept of chosen you know, before the foundation of the yep. world for, you know, in, in mm. eternity past that we are loved, all these, which is a massive concept mm. that a lot of people uh, sort of struggle yeah. with. And, and it's called predestination. It's mm. called, you know, the different, different type of things. Uh, this is where uh, a lot of people who, who go down the pathway of Calvinism and really get strong ideas about what this means in, in, in the outworking of our faith. Mm-hmm. How do you read that, man? Or how do, how do we, how do we take that on there? Uh, well, um, I had a question actually, um, about this. Uh, on Sunday, actually, someone asked me reading through, but just, you know, Feeling um, fairly perturbed by this by this issue, and generally, what concerns people are the implications of this issue. Yeah. So, what is um, what is clear? What we clearly understand, uh, you know, the, the, the scriptures clearly teach uh, a number of things. Now, first of all, there's this idea that you know we are as human beings that we are hopelessly lost. Hmm. You know, that's that's the first thing. Yes, and. Um, that's kind of the background to this uh, to this idea, and then there's this idea that because we're hopelessly lost, um, and and we can't break ourselves out of this. I mean, Paul says, you know, even while we were dead in transgressions, yeah. we were made alive, mm. uh, and and so there's this. You know, God initiates this process. There's this idea in Paul that God is always logically prior. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, now we'll I, break that down. That sounds like a bit of a uh, philosophical mumbo jumbo word there. <laughs> logically prior. That sounds like a bit of a technical term. Well, uh, let me say theologically prior because um, uh, because for God there there really isn't time. I mean, God yes. created the space time universe, and yep. so He creates time and He works within time. Mm-hmm. But God which, is not which, limited uh, by time. And as as our brains <laughs> are. Uh, Living in a time dimension, yeah, we can't even comprehend yeah, that's being right. outside yeah. of that. So we're we're dealing here with the eternal purposes of God, mm. and according to the eternal purposes of God, um, God initiates this relationship, mm. and yet at the same time, we're clearly there's this clear idea in Scripture. Um, that human beings are given the right to self-determine. Our choices matter, mm-hmm. and 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 the choices that we make determine our uh, you know our, our uh, eternity. Um, 
so you've got both these things working together that our choice, we are responsible. We, there's a, there's a, a sense in which, uh, we get to make choices that determine our eternity. And yet we're also told that God's choice is sovereign <laughs> over the top of all of that. Now, the problem again is, is that you've got these two ideas, us operating within space and time and, and making decisions. Yeah. And, uh, and and a real sense of empowerment in that. I mean, I think that's important. Actually, I think um, the, the the Genesis account gives us a picture of people who are genuinely empowered, you know, yeah. to make decisions. Yes. And and their decisions matter. Yeah. And we, you know, we were created for a relationship with God, and that means that we need to be able to respond to God freely. He didn't create us to be robots, you know, mm. where He pushes that button and we love Him. You yeah. Know? It's it's uh, it, it, that's it's not fun. the point. That's not the point. Yeah. So. Um, uh, and yet, that's, you know, while that's happening within space and time, yet in all eternity, God is, um, <laughs> it, you know, we're told that God uh, foreordains that he predetermines yeah. uh, things. Now, how does that and, work? And, cho- and, cho- and uses, yeah. and we get words and like chosen, chosen yeah. choosing, yeah. and yeah. it's like, whoa. And, of course, the, the importance of this for Paul uh, is is that he wants to emphasize grace. He wants to say mm. that you that you were saved and because of God's grace. It's not because of anything that you did. It's not because even God foresaw anything that you did. Oh, mm. I foresee that he's going to be great or that yeah. even he's going to have great faith or mm. or or even any faith. You know, actually because it says in uh, chapter 2, it is by grace you have been saved uh, by faith and that not of yourselves, he yeah. says. That is a gift of God. That is even the faith that that you, you know, that you first exercised mm-hmm. is given to you as a gift of God. So he wants to emphasize actually that it's all of God. This is the point. Mm. It's important to ask the question: Why is he bothering us with this? Um, <laughs> well, it's more than just a bother. Actually, he he wants us to wonder at the fact that God put His hand on us, and it's by His grace in the mystery of His sovereignty. And um, the, the the problem so, – so this is why Paul wants to emphasize the love of God, mm. the sovereignty of God, and the grace of God. This is what – you know, this is the emphasis in this. Uh, in this. Mm. The problem is, is when we do logical deduction. Okay, so we can't help it. Yeah. We can't help – oh, but that – so therefore – Therefore. Um, you know, that, that means that, you know, he chooses some but he rejects others. And we have this – picture in our mind, mm. which is very much a space-time picture of how God operates. Mm, mm. And, you know, and we can form ideas out of that by what we feel as sort of logical connection, you know, logical deduction. If this is the case and this is the case, then this must be the case. Yeah. But we actually can't do that we, we, and we shouldn't do that mm. because um, th- this is God is operating outside space-time logic and, um, and you know, some people object to this saying, well, if that's the case, then we cannot be held responsible for the decisions that we make. So it's all God's decision. Is it, is it God's decision or is it our decision? Yeah. Uh, well, the Bible emphasizes both, uh, those perspectives at yeah. the same time and they seem to be mutually exclusive. Hmm. I would say the emphasis is, is on God's decision when it comes to talking about God and, um, and grace and the love of God, mm-hmm. and yet 
Paul is, and, and the other writers of Scripture then turn to us and say, ah, but you need to... Yeah. You so are, therefore you do this. So therefore do yeah. this and do this, otherwise you're going to be lost. Yeah. And you think, hang on a minute. Yeah. <laughs> how, yeah. does that, how does that fit together? But we're not actually, you know, they, they, they can, we can make a mistake in, in approaching this in a really speculative sort of way mm. where we try and work it all out. And it's not given to us so that we can try to work it all out, create a system, uh, a logical system out of it. It's yeah. given to us so that we can wonder and worship yes. and, and be eternally grateful. That's exactly it. And it, it, it. I was funny. I was just reading this tonight to uh, my three boys and we were reading it together and we were coming up to some conclusions there. And it's it, you then get into the second half of, of chapter one which is, you know, he, he has the first half is that amazing statement of all these beautiful words about the Trinity and about everything. Mm. And then the second half is this prayer uh, for wisdom for, you know, yeah. for, for the church. And in that you can see, like, he's basically saying, I've given you all of this, you know, massive statements out here. So it all just bubbles up inside of you in, yeah. in this overflow of praise and gratitude for what you have, mm. you know, and it, you're getting built. It's it, it, You can see the, the, the response that he was calling for, yeah. that Paul was calling for in the church. It, it made me think that I need to pray more in this sort mm. of frame yeah. of mind, yeah. which I don't do very often. In the day-to-day, you get very – Insular of what is next mm. in your on, on your step, you know what is next, and it's like, man, I've just got to take a step back sometimes mm. and be thankful, you know. Like he he ends up finishing up, you know, and I'm this is I've been reading the New Living Translation lately, um, you know, he says, you know, finishes off, and God has put all things under the authority of Christ and gave him his authority for the benefit of the church, and the church is his body and it's filled by Christ, it fills everything everywhere, and he's you know just yeah. builds up again into the and he's asking yeah. us to praise. And, and stuff like that. It's a beautiful. It's a, it's a good point because all of this is leading us to actually a, an attitude of praise and worship, not mm. speculation. Yes. Um, and it's the same thing happens in Romans too. If if you remember, you know Romans chapters nine to eleven, which the same themes of election and predestination are there in these chapters. Mm. And you know how Paul uh, actually there he addresses the question. Well, some people say, well, then that's not fair. Mm. You know, mm. th- then, uh, and he, and Paul's answer to that is, well, who are you to question God? Yeah. Um, and, and I think, and, and he ends up those chapters by saying, oh, the depths of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how, how his paths beyond tracing, yeah. who can know the mind of the Lord? Yeah. So he recognizes actually this is a cause for wonder. If, if we try and work it out, it, it's not, the, it, it, we're going against the kind of response, uh, that scripture's, uh, asking for. And yet, you know, I want to, you know, people, a lot of people are really concerned about, well, does this mean that, um, you know, does God shut people out? Does he, um, well, the Bible clearly teaches that God wants everyone to be saved. Yeah. yeah. And again, you may say, well, but how does that then fit with the, mm. with this? Mm. Logically, well, it doesn't, I, 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 it doesn't need to. Yes. Uh, and, and, I, and I know that's, I know that's difficult. It's cold comfort. Um, but, um, but it's a wonderful truth that is meant to, Causes to worship, as I said. That's such a great point, Matt. And and I love it, you know, in the second half of chapter one, where Paul, it's almost like he pushes the bruise, like he pushes the pain point, which, mm. you know, we, we've got all of this in our mind and, he, and like of this dichotomy of our choice and God's authority and mm. all this type of stuff. And he pushes the point and he's like, he basically, I read it where, tonight where he's like, 
this is the beginning of spiritual understanding yeah. and wisdom. Yeah. When you you know sit in this for a while, sit in this dichotomy, sit in this, yeah. it does, and just be thankful. Yeah. And now you're getting spiritual because yeah, yeah, he right. says, "I'm praying for your understanding. I'm praying for your wisdom." Yeah. And he keeps referencing back to this yeah. point, and it's like. Whoa! Okay. Yeah, I was. It's interesting. I, I, I've been reading. Um, I've been reading s- some books on quantum physics, and and, and I, you know, struggling <laughs> you to do. get my head. As you do, as you do. Yeah, struggling sort of to get my head around it because I, I wasn't much of a, a math science Oof, no. uh, brain at school. But um, you know, I've been fascinated actually by the f- sort of philosophical implications of. of you know, quantum physics and, and the enigmas that they're discovering at the quantum level yeah. of reality. And, and they're the having fact- to rethink physics <clears throat> that, that, oh, 101. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, you know, I mean, for the last 100 years, we've definitely moved way beyond the old Newtonian sort of worldview. And, you know, where we discover at the quantum level that, you know, that we can have atoms in in a state of superposition you know we're in two places at once yeah. uh that that just seem to defy the laws of logic mm-hmm. and yet even stranger still is that when observed the particles seem to somehow accommodate themselves to the observer so they collapse in a in a into a yeah. finite position as you as you're in response to the observer and and actually as i was reading about this i thought th- this is uh Sort of analogous, and it may not be an, an analogy that that helps people. But I think even even there, at the at the fundamental level of reality that we know of, you know, we encounter these paradoxes, yes. and uh, and and yet, when we observe it, it's like we can only we can only observe things in a finite, in a certain way. Yeah, and um, and I think this is very much the case with ideas like this. It's like they're so much bigger than our minds oh. can fathom. And and yet yet and yet they're true, you know. And you know, it says things like there's a classic verse in Acts, thirteen verse forty eight, where where in response to the preaching of the word, it says, "And all who were appointed to eternal life believed." Yeah. And it's like, are they just trying to blow? Is you know, is Luke in? And all who yeah. were appointed to eternal life, yeah, yeah. believed. You would expect it to say. Everyone who believed yeah. was appointed to eternal life, yeah, but it's yeah, the yeah. other way around. Yeah. And and it's just like, what? This is messing with, with our it's, w- with our logic. It, Acts. I love the book of Acts because it really, like, you know, as some again, you know, you know my my background, Matt, and the, and the and the and the framework of my faith as a young young man, as a young person, was very, uh, you know, um, you know, dry and. I don't want to use the wrong words here. In 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 the positive side of the coin, it was all very biblically mm. based. Mm. You know, incredibly. Like we were taught memorized scripture coming yeah. out of our ears mm. since I was a little child. On the negative side of that, it was all very uh charted on a yeah. wall and defined yeah. and yeah. black yeah, and white right. and lines. And I tell you, you spend some time in the book of Acts, and it's like God just comes along and just blur like licks his thumb and just smudges yeah. the lines. Yeah. Well, 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 that's that, that's the case with with everything that because we, we're so prone to want to systematize everything, and, and there, there, there is, you know, even systematic theology as a discipline is incredibly uh, important and yeah. defining terms, and but um, we can tend to want to fit everything into a neat logical oh. system, oh. and so much of biblical revelation kicks against that, yeah. uh, that you know, that tendency and. And in you know in discussions around this issue of predestination, you know in the past, you know a lot of it has been around the logical 
implications of it and the mm. logical consequences of mm. it. So, mm. you know, the debate debates are, well, it's either this or it's this. Uh, yeah. There's five points of Calvinism. Yeah. Are you a five point? And how far do you take each of these points? And yeah. little, little, I mean, little, we little. won't get into that. No, 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 no. But, um, but that's where the that's but, where but, the yeah, arguments are. A, a lot of that is you know is about logical implication. Well, if that's the case, then this must be the case. Yeah, and well, yeah. I mean, I think I do think we need to be careful with that sort of thinking, mm. um, uh, because um, uh, we, we just need to take what Scripture says and take it uh, and and understand the purpose for which it's said. Take mm. it in its scriptural context mm-hmm. and not try to form a logical context. Uh, for it, yeah. so you know, so for example, in John, we have Jesus saying in John six, "No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him." Yeah. Uh, and in uh, John fifteen, you know, Jesus says, "You did not choose me; I chose you." Yeah. Uh, and in fact, <laughs> you know, he says also in John chapter six, "says All that the Father gives me will come to me." Yeah, you know, it's it's this it's, and of course, for Paul, this makes sense, doesn't it? Because yeah. There was Paul just riding along oh. one day in complete rebellion. Yes. And Jesus says, that's it, you're coming with me. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I mean, w- when I was first confronted with these uh, ideas, I, they, they resonated with me because I, I actually felt in some ways that, that I didn't really have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I did. I did certainly did exercise yes. the choice and, and, and exercise my faith. But but. My experience certainly was that God came along and, and just knocked me off my horse, yeah. to, to, to use that expression, uh, connecting with Paul's experience. I mean, it really felt like God really knocked me off my, me off my horse and said, right, that's it, you're coming with me now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can remember years, years later thinking, I can't believe, I can't believe I'm happen? a Christian. Yeah. Like, what happened with that? That's, uh, it's, it's How did a, I end up here? I, I, I totally – even though, even though I, I, I was – Saved at the age of six years old, yeah. and and I when I say I was saved at the age of six years old, I mean classic Baptist preaching at the front, you yeah. know, eternal burn, you know, the, the gospel being clearly presented, and in this six year old mind of mine, processing it, walking down the front and committing my life to Christ, you know, like there was no other option for yeah. me. It was, you know, but salvation is a process, and you know, and there was been many times as a teenager yeah. that I had to rethink that, and I remember. Reading the when I first read the uh, the the biography autobiography of C.S. Lewis, mm. where he describes himself mm. as the most reluctant convert mm. Mm. when the truth was brought, he was like, like, like you say, mm. there was he was knocked off his horse. Yeah. There was no choice. Yeah, you know, and it, it was there wasn't a want or a desire yeah. in him. It was like this is what I this is what yeah, I must yeah. do. And I, I and he's was, so thankful for that. Yeah. He just think, thank God, it wasn't up to me. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the sense you get from that's Paul. It. This is where the worship comes because he's thinking, oh, thank God, it wasn't up to me. Yeah. Ultimately, you yeah. know, he exercises choice, but he he's so thankful that God in His grace just came and knocked him off his horse. And we see, <laughs> and we see that a little bit later. I think it's in chapter, I think it's in chapter three, it might be four, where Paul uses that phrase that is like a prayer echo in my own heart so often, where he says, you know. Uh, you know, God forgave sinners, you know, of whom I am chief. Yeah. You know, yeah. like he talks about him being the, the, yeah, the yeah. king of all sinners. Yeah. You know, type of thing. Yeah. And in that, that's yeah. once you get his back, you think of Paul's background of who he mm. was, and yeah. you read this chapter one, it's like, whoa, okay, yeah. now we're getting it. I think one of the big, one of the big things in, that, that came up in a discussion that I had actually just last Sunday is about the fairness uh, of God. Yeah. You know, what about the person who, who, you know, who isn't 
who yes. was lost and and you know does that mean that God hasn't chosen them and does that uh you know how is God fair um well as I said before I mean God wants everyone to be saved and we're only held accountable for uh you know we are held accountable for the choices that we make and only for the choices that we make mm. um and and God is fair but how God is fair we won't always perceive yeah so, or yeah, we won't even agree with yeah we won't necessarily agree because we don't see the whole picture yeah. you know God is viewing things from an eternal perspective and and you know scripture says that God is just mm. but it doesn't always mean that we will perceive that justice mm-hmm. that we will perceive the mm. justness of it so we will often i mean this is life isn't it yeah. you're often in situations where you think this just isn't fair because we have su- such a limited perspective, we just need to trust actually, no, God is fair. He's doing what is absolutely just. Yes. Uh, because remember, actually, God doesn't need to save anyone. Yeah. Uh, he's, it's actually out of his grace that yes. he saves anyone. Yeah. Amen. Um, and, um, and so I think we can rest in the fact, no, that God absolutely is fair. Mm. But actually what scripture emphasizes um even more is the grace, is, mm. is this perspective of grace. God is gracious. Yeah. And actually, he's probably a lot more gracious. He, I, I think when we all get to heaven, we're going to see I, that actually God is way more gracious than we thought that he even would be. I, amen. I, amen. 100% uh, to that. That is that is amazing. Okay. We can spend all day in yeah. chapter one, right? Let's move on. We've got to get into chapter two. Yeah, or, or night. Yeah, we're actually recording. This is a late night session for, uh, for Matt and I recording. It's an unusual one here. Uh, now, uh, moving into chapter two, this is where, um, you know, he, Paul then uh, breaks it down more into talking about what does this mean to be alive in Christ and to be in yeah. Christ. Yeah. And this is a very there's a very crucial understanding that I think sometimes the modern church mm. loses, which is the concept of the Gentile and the Jew. Yeah. And this is really heavily brought out here in chapter yeah. two. Yeah. We we sort of move on. We go, oh, that's sort of that Old Testament stuff that Paul saw. I don't know. I move on. But it's like, no, 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 no. This is a massive part yeah. of understanding what this book is about. Yeah. It's because uh, – and the importance of it is that so that we understand that that whole big slab of Old Testament that you've got in your hands right now <laughs> actually applies to us. Actually, mm. that's our history. And why is it our history? Because we've been, as Paul says in um, Romans, we've been grafted into that history. Yeah. So God has taken – Two peoples, you know, a people that were previously did not didn't have a part uh, in the covenant of God, and He's grafted us into that, and that's uh, to form one people, and that's uh, Paul's emphasis in mm. um, in uh, you know from chapter two onwards, uh, going into chapter three, even um, this idea that He has created one people mm. Um, mm. out of out of Jew and Gentile, and um, so He has added. Us as Gentiles, as non-Jewish people, he's created something much bigger, actually, yes. than just uh, what was originally Israel. And it was always prophesied that it would become the worldwide people of God. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and that's what he talks about there. Uh, yeah, and this is, you know, a, a major, you know, Paul finally answers the question of how was the whole world going to be blessed through Abraham's promise. Yeah. That original promise from yeah. God to Abraham. Yeah. 
how is this happening? Paul's like, right, let me tell you how, yeah, and, right. and goes into it. And so this concept, and th- this is the reason why I think it's important for us to remember, is because we are the Gentiles that Paul is talking about here. Even mm. though it doesn't feel like it now, yeah, yeah. we sort of don't even think about yeah. that worldview, but we are the Gentiles. We are the ones that were born in in, in times previous to Christ the wall was put around the Jewish people where we could not enter mm. into that promise yeah. of God. We could not yeah. enter, partake of that, um, you, you know, in that sense. As yeah. You know, like Paul says, you know, there's the circumcised and the uncircumcised. Yeah. You were kept away. Mm. But now through Christ, there is no barrier. Yeah. There's a really interesting strand of um, thinking in this that is also quite foreign to us, and that is this representative uh, corporate way of thinking. Yes. Um, so... The, the the Jewish people rightly understood that they inherited the promises because of being in Abraham. They were yes. Abraham's offspring. And and when God you know, what Abraham did has effects had, had you know, Abraham's faith um had implications for everyone, for all of his offspring afterwards. Mm. This is this sense that what I mean, this is the immensity of human responsibility. Talking, we were talking before about human responsibility. You know, when Adam, you know, sinned, all died. Yeah. Paul says in Romans yeah. chapter. So, so that you know, the, where the where the decision of one uh, has implications for everyone that that person represents. Yes. So it's like, in a sense, those that that one represent in a sense, in that person make that decision, are represented in that. So, you know, Adam jumped over the cliff, as it were, and we all went over with, yeah. with him. How, how, do we, how do we get that into yeah. our heads this day? What's, well, the, what's the way to – do we think about it like – because we're such individuals – we're like, individual. We, we're like we don't, we don't even thinkers, yeah. we don't even want to. Sometimes we want to get out of the shadow of my dad, you know, type mm. of thing. We don't want to take the ownership there, but it's like no. I yeah. think God sees us as all related. Like yeah, we're, we're all connected, and mm. and and this rep, this idea of that uh, of representative thinking. So it causes problems. An inability to understand this causes problems when you get to. Things like, um, you know, the, the sin of Achan, for example, uh, mm. when, you know, Achan sins against God and his whole family bears the consequences. Yeah. Uh, and b- because that's. Not, well, th- they end up bearing the whole consequences because the whole people were bearing the consequences yeah, at right. first when the Actually, sin was hidden. Yeah, that's, that, that's true. Yeah. yeah. So um, you have it again and again in scripture. You see where, where, you know, one person's actions have consequences for everyone else. So it's almost like. Um, because he's doing it, we're all doing it. Mm. There's no God doesn't separate, uh, you know, us from. Uh, he doesn't separate us from each other. I mean, he he sees us as individuals and he loves us as individuals. Yeah. But there's this level of corporate thinking that is difficult for us in our very individualistically oriented culture to get a grasp on. Now, the important thing of that for. Um, understanding Ephesians and actually the writings of Paul, is that he's constantly talking about us being in Christ. So we're seated in the heavenly realms in Christ. Yes. All the people read that thing. What does that what, mean? What, is, what do you mean I'm in I'm in Christ? Yeah. Well, it's as though you were sitting there. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's that, that because he is now our representative, um, whereas we were in Adam, now we're in Christ. Mm. Uh, um, and uh, – or, or – 
whereas, you know, people who were once the children of Abraham, you know, Christ really becomes the bigger banner mm. uh, of, of a greater covenant. And we, he is our representative. And so what, what he earned is earned for us. Mm. You know, when he was raised up, so will we be raised up. And, and what, uh, you know, as he was victorious, so are we victorious. And it's this constant sense of, uh, of um, us, you know, partaking in everything that, that Jesus Christ did. And so um, it's a beautiful idea because um, it, it means that uh, it's not just about me and, and what I have and haven't achieved. Have have or have not achieved. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It puts my focus actually on the one in whom my life is. Yes. When I, it's like I step into Christ, and what is true of Him becomes true of me. Yeah, by yeah. grace. Yeah, you know, uh, and it's it's an idea. It takes a little while to get our head around this, but that's this representative way of thinking, which yes. is you know why it's that sort of representative way of thinking that Paul can say, you know, the promises to you and your children. Yeah, when you step in. You bring your whole family with you. God doesn't separate us from our children. So they they become members of the covenant in a very special sense as well. It's one of these things I brought. I, I, I think I mentioned it. I might have mentioned it last week or the week before. The thing that I love about Paul's, you know, um, writing, especially in Ephesians, is that he talks about these heavenly concepts yeah. that are not mantras yeah. or spells yeah. or things to. It, it's not like going to the happy place in your mind. Yeah. You know that that concept yeah. that we have. Oh, I'm facing trouble. Or I need to grin and bear it, or or or, yeah. or something like that. There's something so practical yeah. about what he's talking about. Yeah. There's something so everyday practical understanding, yeah. and, and when you're dwelling and meditating on it, it is. And, and actually, and that's an important point because it's not just this abstract idea that you are seated yeah. at the right hand of God. I mean, yeah. this is what he is saying. That you actually are seated at the right hand of God in yeah. Jesus Christ, in the yeah. same way as when the high priest in the in the in the Old Testament times would enter into the holy place, mm. he would be representing God's people. So it was as though every individual Israelite were going in with him. Yeah. It wasn't necessary for every individual person to make that journey. Yeah. It was one person that made atonement for all. And, of course, as Hebrews talks about, Jesus is our great high priest. Yeah. So what happens with him is actually, in a very important spiritual sense, what happens to us. So in a very real sense, we are seated at the right hand of God. Yeah. Now, just think about that. So no wonder, Paul says, now live life. Live yeah. a life worthy of yes. that. Yeah. Right, it's you've been seated there by grace. You are seated at the right hand of God, mm. right mm. in the very throne room of God. Okay, now how are you going to act? Yeah, how are you going to? How are you going to now act, mm. sitting right next to God? Because mm. that's where you are. Mm. 
Mm. You didn't. Earn, it wasn't by your actions that you earned a place there. Mm. It's given you by grace. But let that grace compel you to live up to where you actually are. Yeah. I, 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 I love awesome. this. Let's wrap up chapter two. At the end of chapter two, he brings back a, 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 a common theme that we have seen again and again uh, through scripture. And this is the theme of the temple. Yeah. And he basically says, now we have a new, like, this is the new temple. This is it. Mm. Is that now it's not just a promise to the Jews. It's now you Gentiles are brought in and Jesus has a new dwelling place. This is, you know, this is, yeah. you know, talking about this whole new yeah. concept of a temple joined together in Christ, the Jew and the Gentile together under him. Uh, it's just amazing. This, this is a, this, I, I would say this is one of the, Dominant themes, really, if not the dominant theme, mm. uh, as we said in the last episode, you know, the, Paul in the Ephesians giving us this big picture of everything being brought back together and reunified. Mm. You have this picture of the world as this scattered, fragmented thing that God is bringing it and putting it all back together, right? And it's all being put back together in Christ. And the major theme here is that of the church, actually. Mm. The church is really the, the, tangible uh, evidence of things being brought together. It's yes. it's people coming together and living in community again. Mm. Um, it's, it's not just a means to an end. It actually is the end. It's that community that is created. And it's amazing how prominent that throughout this letter, again and again and again, there is mention uh, of, of the church. I mean, it says here, um, that he says, so you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, yeah. built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, uh, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. So, you know, it, it's he is constantly emphasizing, actually, that God is bringing you back to, I mean, the illustration I used is, is, is picturing like humanity as this broken, fragmented mechanism, like some beautifully fine-tuned mechanism. Mm. Um, I mean, the illustration is impersonal because it's much more personal. But for the sake of illustrating this, it's like it's this beautiful machine that got smashed and all the pieces get lost. So God does three things. First, he finds the lost pieces. We're the lost pieces, right? Yeah, yeah. He finds us. Okay, mm. you know, I was lost, but now I'm found. Mm. That's the first thing. Secondly, he mends. He mends those pieces. Like we get mend, that's sanctification. We each individually get mended uh, by God. But all of that is to the end that we get fitted back together again. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's the big picture. This is the key part. And actually church is all about us being together and operating together as one organic whole. And it's actually together that we rise to become everything that we were purposed to be. You can't be who God has created you to be on your own. I can't be who God has made me to be yeah. on my own. Yeah. Impossible. Yeah. It's only as I become part of the bigger thing, that yes. it's only as I become part of what Paul calls the body of Christ, mm. um, that together actually we can, we fulfill uh, God's purpose. You know, it, even in, at the, in Genesis chapter one, male and female, he created in, in his image, he created them. Yeah. Together, uh, they bear his image. Um, and it's interesting. Um, it says here about, uh, the, the plan of the mystery in, in, um, what chapter is this? This is in. I think this might be in the next chapter. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Through, chapter, says, beginning of chapter three. Uh, he created all things so that through the church, this is three verse ten, so that through the church, uh, 
the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and principal authorities in the heavenly places, so that through the church uh, this this would happen. And then uh, he has at the end of uh, chapter three, um, in that uh, classic, um, uh, I'm just going to find it here, that classic benediction. Mm. Uh, he says, "Now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we." ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church. (laughs) It's like, because why glory in the church? Because together we become a temple of the Lord. Together Mm. we become the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. It's so central that, and I know it's so counterintuitive for us, and we keep trying to, you know, because, you know, it's hard to, the joining together, people are like, oh, why does he have to destroy all that? <laughs> you know, it seems uh, on our own you can think you're going, okay, it's, it's actually when you – the challenge of connecting, actually yeah. that's when you see how much actually you need to get mended. <laughs> that's when you see – you know, because you're thinking, hang on, uh, you think, I don't fit. Uh, well, actually, you probably need to get mended some more. And yeah. sometimes people say, oh, I don't really fit, so I'm just going to go off on my own and have mm. a private faith. Well, there's no such thing as a private faith. Mm. Faith is a community uh, thing, essentially. Mm. And um, and uh, and this is the, at the centre of what God is doing, is that he's fitting us into something bigger. I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm tempted to stop there, but we'll keep on going. Um, okay, so let's, let's – uh, Matt, let's wrap up. Matt, let's wrap up this episode and, um, and as we look at the first couple of chapters, we're sort of stopping at an awkward time because, uh, really the first three chapters are the, you know, the, the book of Ephesians is cut right in half. Mm. I mean, there's a, the first three chapters are so clearly one part and then chapter four onwards mm. is this whole yeah. practical part here. But I think we can sort of wrap up chapter three at the end, in this episode mm. here because, uh, it's, it's the culmination of everything, everything that we've just been yep. talking about. You know, this, this, the, the talk about, um, you know, the mystery or God's secret plan has been revealed. And that is the church, this mm. whole church thing. And Paul's, um, you know, special responsibility. He's calling by God to, to sort of oversee the beginning mm. of this church thing, yeah. this Gentile and Jew coming together and Paul talking about his responsibility to that and, and, you know, getting so excited about praying yeah. and praying around that. Uh, in chapter three, this is where we get, uh, again, reading out of the, uh, I'm, I'm in the new, um, you know, the New Living Translation. In chapter 3, verse 6, he says, and this is the secret plan, the Gentiles have an equal share with the Jews in all the riches inherited by God's children. Both groups have believed the good news and both are part of the same body Enjoy and enjoy together the promise of blessings through Christ Jesus. By God's this is it. By God's special favor and mighty power, I've been given the wonderful privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Mm. And just think, though I did nothing to deserve it, and though I am the least deserving Christian there is, I was chosen for this special joy of telling Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> amazing stuff. Uh, it's beautiful. I, um, You know, chapter 3... Um, uh, ends in in one of these prayers, and and I think that's worth noting actually as 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 we close that how Paul structures this. You know, he starts off with this song of praise that mm. leads him into this discussion, and it and then it it goes in. It's like from praise into prayer. Yes, <laughs> this, you know this this guy 
is not, he's not just this abstract theoretical thinker. I mean, this mm. is real for him. Mm. He's experiencing this in what you just read. Mm. He's experienced the choice of God. Mm. God's put his hand on him. He's sent him out to the Gentiles to tell them to come on into the kingdom of God. You know, that for thousands of years, God has prepared and cultivated this message in a people mm. and cultivated these promises and, and a sense of these promises. And now, you know, he's sending the message out to the world to draw all people into one community. And, you know, Paul is actually experiencing that. It's not theory. He's actually going out and he's experiencing the zeal of God mm. uh, for people. And uh, and so you get these amazing prayers uh, of Paul and uh, how he prays for these people, essentially to realize and see the fullness, actually, mm. of what we actually have so that it never remains just at a theoretical level. That's what I love about these prayers. Mm. May this never just be theoretical for you. Mm. I mean, you can experience this. This, There's something for you to see here (laughs) and for you to realize here, for you to experience. I mean, it's All your your senses should be involved in here, especially in Chapter 3 at the end there where he goes into that great, depending on the translation you're reading, how wide and deep and great and high and like Mm. this is where he gets right into the, yeah. the emotional part yeah. of it, yeah. that experiential part of it. Yeah, that you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You know, like you can't, you can't think about this. Mm. You know, as I often say to people, you can't think your way into the truth. You, just got, you can't think, I'm just going to think lots about it and then somehow that will lead me to experience the reality of it. Wow. No, it won't. You can't access the truth that way. It has to, you actually have to cry out to God and, and it has to take hold of you. Mm. And it will. You know, if we seek and if we keep on seeking, we'll find. And, and these book, you know, Paul is writing this so that we lean into this, mm. so that we realize that there's always more. Every time I read this, I'm reminded, ah, oh, there's so much more. It reminds me to lean in and to experience the fullness of what we have in Christ because we are given every spiritual blessing in Him. Wow, what an absolute magnificent mountaintop to finish on there as we wrap up Ephesians 1, 2 and 3, the first half of the book of Ephesians from the Apostle Paul. What an amazing space. We we see uh, everything that he has given to us, Every all the work that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit working together has given us in the church. It's just a magnificent place to finish episode 10 today. Cannot wait for episode 11 to get into the second half of the book of Ephesians. Now listen, if you are enjoying what you're hearing and you're loving what we're doing in Thrive Deeper, and if we've been any encouragement to you, then we ask you to do one simple thing for us. And that is share this episode with a friend. However that's uh, easiest for you, whether that's on social media, on Facebook, or even showing your friend on your phone. This is what I listen to and this is really great. Send it in an email, write it in a note, put it in the card. However is easy for you, we would love you to share that. All right, we'll see you next week. This has been DJ Payne for Thrive Deeper. Until then, bye. Thanks for listening to Thrive Deeper. If you have questions you would like answered, contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Thrive Deeper or at the Thrive Today website where you can also subscribe to the Thrive Daily Bible Reading Guide. That's at thrivetoday.net.au. Until next time. 
thrive.